Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Lula Bentz, your host, a psychotherapist, a trauma expert, and a survivor myself. Lovely to have you with us. The Trauma Thrivers podcast is for anybody who has been through any sort of developmental trauma or who has complex PTSD. This podcast aims to help educate, inspire and support those of us that are on a trauma healing journey. We've got stories, steps and various solutions to trauma to help you heal. If you'd like more information or tips or tools or strategies, please go to traumathrivers.com. You can also find this podcast on my YouTube channel, Lula Bent's Trauma Thrivers. If you'd like to join our community of thrivers, please find us on Facebook under Trauma Thrivers. Chiron Clinics proudly sponsors the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Chiron Clinics offer residential and outpatient treatment for anyone trying to recover from the effects of trauma. Chiron's clinics look through the lens of trauma to treat common mental health problems and behavioural disorders, which can lead to self-harming, addictions, depression, anxiety and relationship issues. All treatment protocols used at Chiron clinics use the latest research on trauma in the brain as a guide, and the combination can be highly effective in restoring nervous system regulation. For more information, see chironclinics.com. Hey Trauma Thrivers, welcome back. Today I'm delighted to introduce you to a friend of mine, Liz Kasheen. I can't wait for you to hear Liz's incredible story. Liz is an award-winning author, TEDx and global speaker, She's a consultant, facilitator, and coach, and Liz is on a mission to challenge the stigma around mental health and to normalize the conversation and get mental health and well-being on the agenda in organizations and schools. She works with individuals and teams to enable them to unlock their full potential and transform their mental well-being. So Liz very kindly offered to tell us her phenomenal story today in our Trauma Thrivers podcast. So thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, I'm very lucky and or consider myself lucky in that I've already heard uh, your story and watched your TEDx and been inspired by you for a long time, which is one of the reasons I really wanted you to do the Trauma Thrivers podcast, because I know that your story, although harrowing, is so hugely inspiring too. And I would love to you to share it or yeah share about how you got to the diagnosis of PTSD which I know you didn't realize did you for a very long time no it was over 30 years it was only in fact just about three years ago that you found out yeah wow yeah from when I was 13 yeah yeah that's a long time Mm -hmm. what happened Um, As I say, I was 13 um, and 
I, like any teenager who goes to school, had a school sports day. And I was actually really excited because I'd been selected to throw the javelin. And I, I thought I had a really good chance of getting a medal, which at that time meant a lot to me because I had some background uh, trauma at home. Did you? you was, you'd yeah, already had trauma previous to 13. Exactly. Um, my stepdad drank far too much and with his increase in alcohol came his increase in temper and emotional mental abuse. Um, so my self-esteem was already low. Yeah. Um, but I really thrived on the positive praise I got from sports. And I'd been throwing the javelin for the school uh, javelin team in the months leading up to the sports day. So, uh, so I went off to school really excited, actually. I thought, you know, this was a real chance to shine. Um, so I was really looking forward to it. And we went off to lessons as usual. And then in the afternoon, I took part in a couple of other events, didn't get a medal, and then made my way across to the javelin event. Now, the school had put a history teacher and an English teacher in charge of the javelin event. So you can already start to sense that perhaps things weren't as they should have been that day. No. Um, I took my seat and waited. There's about five other girls. I was in an all-girls school. Waited for my turn to throw. And the school had put two of my 13-year-old classmates on the field, out on the field, to measure the javelin throws. So when my turn came, I picked up the javelin. You know, I took a, I took a deep breath and I was really willing to win the medal, you know, as, as you do when you're taking part in these things. I was almost desperate to get that praise. So I took my run up. It was it was considered a throw because it was um, I was within the box. I took through the javelin as hard as I could. And at first it was going straight. And I thought, oh, this is you know, this is really good. And then at the very last moment, it veered off very sharply to the right, right where my classmate and friend Sammy was standing right next to the white line um, in the javelin throw area. And for some reason she was distracted and she wasn't looking. So she didn't see it coming. And there was a few of us, we screamed her name. So she turned and I had a brief moment of thinking, oh gosh, that was close. I don't know if you've ever had that when you, yes. just, you know, you just, mm -hmm. just almost hit something in the car maybe or something like that. Um, and then that that turned to horror as the javelin struck oh. her in the head. Oh. I know I've heard it before, but every time I hear it, it just, my heart goes out to all of you. It's just so horrendous. I can't imagine, Liz, really. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Lou. It, it was like, you know, especially it was so at odds with how I'd been feeling the excitement. And then suddenly it was like, it was literally like a horror film. Yeah. Um, and I know some of your um, people watching this will understand shock, but I was yeah. so, the shock was just so overwhelming. Yeah. That I just collapsed onto my knees. I, I remember I had my head in my hands and I was just saying, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my yeah. God. You know, I just yeah. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't take it in. It was just no. too much. No, no. I don't think anybody could take it in. I mean, just horrendous. Yeah. I mean, it makes me want to cry now listening to it, you know. And of course, everybody ran over to my friend to make sure she was, there was a, you know, it was, it was a very traumatic scene. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember the next bit, apart from my overriding 
feeling of wanting to get her help. This was pre-mobile phones, so we couldn't just ring and we were quite away from the school. So somebody would have to run and get an ambulance. And I just remember thinking that I had to do that, must get an ambulance. And But apparently, and I only found this out a, a few years ago, apparently I was just running around in circles on the field oh, in shock. Yeah, you know, just running around and around and around. Yeah, yeah understandably. Um, and then someone realised you know, maybe I needed some support and I was taken inside and then, and then I went home. Um, and my mum came and I just really wanted to see Sammy. You know, we went up to the hospital and then we were told she'd been transferred. I thought I'd blinded her. And right. we were told she'd been transferred to a special neurological hospital. And this feeling that I'd had, that it was absolutely terrible what had happened was was confirmed really I knew then it was very serious and my mum went off to find a doctor I was left on my own and I just remember looking at the seconds and the minutes in the hospital waiting room just desperate for mum to come back um we went outside and it was like a white plastic chair and I think I knew the answer before before I asked you know you have this intuition I just said mum is she going to die and mum said yes I think so four days later she died Oh. yeah um it was like my whole world was yeah, it was in yeah. the news it was on the national news it was on the radio you know oh. it was like the police asked me if I'd had an argument with her that morning oh. and I thought, oh my god oh. they think I've done it on purpose you know oh. the guilt I felt yeah already was enough what a stupid thing to know. so all of these things um and then afterwards I got no help at all so unbelievably by today's standards yes I didn't talk to anybody about it so I was left with me crazy yeah I was just left with my own were we really that un-trauma informed 30 years ago completely my my GP said it didn't even need to go on my medical record that's what he said to my mom oh god yeah I was asked if I wanted to see a psychiatrist, but I was 13. And at that point, I thought, oh, my gosh, they think I'm mad. You know, that's what a 13 year old thinks. And I actually thought I would never get a job. That's what I thought. I thought if I see a psychiatrist, it will be a black mark. So I'd better try and pretend I'm okay. It was the downfall of me, really. Yes. From that point on, I kept thinking I had to try and try and pretend I was deeply traumatized. Um, You know, I felt like I was a zombie. I felt like if you believe in such things, it almost felt like my soul had left my body and I was just this shell walking around Um, and was like that, you know, for decades, really just not feeling a connection to anything. I felt like I was in a glass box and everyone else was on the outside and I couldn't quite get through. And um, I felt numb at times or um, I'd go into deep fear at other times or anger. I had such deep rage inside that would get triggered you know but I didn't so understand all, all it. the symptoms of PTSD yeah and the flashbacks yeah um, that ultimately I lost the visual flashbacks but they became feeling flashbacks yes you know, I'd have a trigger and I'd feel it uh, and that was until just a few years ago you know I was living yeah. with that so yeah. but I just had to I had to live with it because there was I didn't understand anything no. different no one else you know I was diagnosed on and off with depression over the years um but it wasn't Um, depression it was it was PTSD yeah totally and then did you go into other ways as we do to manage the trauma you know the drinking or the drugging or the yeah one night stands or all of that kind of self-loathing almost and 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 you know unprocessed 
you know, guilt and shame. I think I've ticked them all, to be honest. Over yeah. the years. I think because of my stepdad, I, I couldn't rebel too much because it was a, an unsafe environment. So I used food. I used food as a way to beat myself up. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that's a pretty constant way to do it. Yeah. Um, so that was the first part. And then when I left home and went off to university, which I'm incredibly proud of myself, and I'd also left home at 17, lived in a council flat um, to get away from my stepdad. So doubly proud of myself. Yeah, yeah, that shows tremendous blooming courage. And yeah, yeah. God. And then I, but you know, then I was, you know, I, I slept around, I realised now it was the only sort of connection I'd felt, you know, um, although it's fleeting and it almost yes. became addictive and then there was shame around that um, and guilt around that and then one day a friend offered me ecstasy and you know I took ecstasy and for the first time there was this no pain there was this relief and in fact there was connection you know it was artificial yeah. and a sense of belonging I became part of this exciting rave culture that was emerging yeah, yeah it was it just around our 20s yeah it was yeah. I, you know I was popular I was on guest lists to get into clubs you know I could go into a club on my own no problem because I knew I was going to take drugs and then suddenly I'd have all this confidence and yeah. you know, I lost weight I was very attractive you know and so you know lots of guys were attracted to me yeah. and and that became really mentally addictive because what was my choice? Well, if I stopped that, I was going back to that hell uh, that was living in before and I couldn't drink alcohol. It made me really sick. So oh, if I, interesting, because I was brought up by someone who drank too much, um, yeah. but then I couldn't, I couldn't drink alcohol. It's almost like I was intolerant to it. Yes. So, so I didn't want to stop taking the drugs and then it became this double life. You know, I was, when I left uh, uni went to work I'd put on the professional suit in the week and then at the weekends I'd literally from Friday to Sunday wouldn't sleep I'd just be taking drugs the whole time party after party after party and then somehow managed to get through the week before the next weekend that was how I lived yeah and so how long did you live like that for until you started to I don't know see the light I it was about six years full on and everything was escalating. I was needing to take more drugs. I was in very abusive relationships, you know, I was punishing myself on so many levels. And then um, I had a, this sort of breakthrough moment in my late twenties on a Dale Carnegie sales training course. Oh, uh, wow. Did you? <laughs> so it was totally unexpected. Yeah. Um, and it, basically I read how to win friends and influence people as a part of this course. And it said, think and act positively and you will become positive. Okay. But people talk about a light bulb moment, but I was like, what, you mean there's a choice here? You know? Yeah. Uh, Cause I'd been asking really big questions before that about why was I born? What is the purpose of all this? You know, was I born just to create so much misery? You know, if there was a God, I was raging at them. Uh, you know why me why Sammy you know why us all of this was yeah with I was really asking those questions um, and then suddenly there was like this hope there was this like god I've got choice here yeah. wow so no longer was I a victim just having to put up with all of this actually I could start to create my own experience that was transformative and I know looking back considering the trauma I was carrying that was a very simplistic and naive thing to think that I could just switch my thinking at that point but it was the start of the journey yes exactly it was the, start of the journey yeah. yeah 
Um, And then I went off traveling, uh, had this incredible sort of spiritual awakening in India that I wasn't expecting. I knew nothing about. Someone gave me Reiki, which is a form of spiritual healing. I had this sort of massive spiritual awakening, felt connected to something much greater than me. It was the most profound experience. And that set me off on a whole holistic alternative healing journey. Yes. Um, which was amazing. And every single part of that, you know, I, I trained in shamanism, life coaching, NLP, hypnotherapy, theta healing, yes. bioenergetic healing, you know, it was you name it. My dad said I could plaster the house with certificates and I think <laughs> it's good. <laughs> um, but I was just, it was almost like my new addiction. Yeah. I'd get a fix every time I was on these courses. I'd suddenly feel that oh, this is amazing. And then the, the come down afterwards, like with the drugs. So I'd have to do the next thing and the next yes. thing. And, and then I found myself on a three weeks in silence, mindfulness, meditation, sorry, retreat in Sri Lanka. And just at the start, the guy said to me, you really need to learn to be kinder to yourself. And I argued, I was like, I am being kind to myself. I'm here, aren't I? You know, I've been doing all this stuff. And as I was saying, it, I was just, it was like, it was like Duk, the plenty dropped. And I thought, I've just been punished, pushing, pushing, pushing yes. you know, all the time, not giving myself any chance to integrate or catch up or anything. And, and I was being very unkind in my mind to myself. So that was another big yeah. point. And yeah. I realized I'd suffered enough. I'd been punishing myself. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. And we have to stop the punishing on our trauma journey, healing journeys, don't we? We have to stop that punishing part either over pushing or overdoing it or over egging even our healing journeys it's so true and I actually when I was I was three weeks in silence on my own in this center I I was doing a self-retreat and it was almost like I went through all the layers you know the anger the rage the sadness the trauma the grief I was like dropping through these layers when I got to the bottom I can't feel emotional now thinking about it but I realized just how much I hated myself I've really hated myself. I've rejected myself. And I realized that, okay, that trauma happened and that was that. But I was the one who had been punishing myself every day since. I was the one who believed I was evil, that I deserved to be punished. I was the one who'd done that to myself. Yes. And it was like my heart cracked open and compassion was born for myself. That, you know, that was really the start of learning to accept and have love and compassion for myself yeah yeah. I was just an innocent you know child that day school field and I'd been thinking that all this time I was waiting to discover that I was really evil and everyone was going to discover it Mm. you know and I'd been living with that for for a long long time so when did you get the PTSD diagnosis did you get a diagnosis I did yeah so uh, about about four or five years ago, I started to speak about my story. Yes. I felt like I'd learned so much that I wanted to share with others. Um, but what I found was every time I stood up and shared, I was being re-traumatized. Okay. I didn't realize initially, I just was coming away and it was, you know, I was disoriented and, and feeling, you know, that trauma trigger. And it was taking me a while to recover. And I thought, this can't be right. In me wanting to help other people, I, it's not right to keep hurting myself. No. You know, that, that can't be it. No. Um, and then I someone uh gave me the book the body keeps the score oh Bessel van der Kuyen. yeah yeah the seminal the- book on trauma yeah yeah I read the first chapter about a soldier with PTSD and I, I could have written it myself I thought oh, 
this is exactly what I've been feeling all this time. Yes. It was such a relief. Actually, I cried, you know, it was oh. sort of affirming. Yes. Um, and so I went to my GP and I asked him, could I get an assessment? And he was amazing. He said, I am so sorry on behalf of the medical profession that nobody has thought to send you for an assessment before now. And I thought, even though he hadn't been a part of that, yeah, thought it was a beautiful thing for him. So it was very healing for me, actually. Yeah, lovely thing to say. So I had the assessment um, and the diagnosis, and then I was referred for trauma CBT with a beautiful, very kind and caring therapist. Um, and so we worked, obviously it was traumatic, so I had to relive it all, but um, from a compassionate lens. Yes. And at one point I just looked at her with tears in my eyes and I said, I really didn't do anything wrong. You know, it was like, it was like a revelation. Yeah, said, you didn't. You didn't. You really did. She said, no. you were a victim that yeah. day. You had a right to be safe. And I was yeah. like, I had a right to be safe at school. And then I thought, I, I did have a right. How yeah. could this have happened to me? You know, the, you know, 30 years too late, I was getting angry yeah. with the school saying, how could they have let me go through this? I know, yeah. exactly. I mean, the inquest did find the school responsible I didn't yes. say that earlier on, but because I wasn't allowed at the inquest and the, the verdict was death by misadventure, I had always thought as a child that that meant I had misadventured yes. not at all. And so I've been carrying all of that. Yeah, You know, it's very sad really that all of the, but anyway, it, it, it was just is how it was. I've accepted it all. Um, and actually I've learned so much through the journey. Uh, but knowing that actually I didn't do anything wrong that day, that I was just an innocent 13 year old. And yeah. actually, you know, I'd had a right to be safe. That that was like another level Good. of healing. Yeah. Um, I've since had EMDR, which has also helped. I've, you know, I've done some body work. I'm, I practice mindfulness and have done for a long time, which has really supported me in my um, resilience. And then last year I published a book about my story and did my TED talk, which was like oh, another level. Brilliant. Have you um, got the book there, Liz? What's I the have. Book? This is the second edition. Okay, this amazing. Is called, this is me, my journey to mental well-being. Uh, it's got loads of mental health insights and tips, and it's also my story. Amazing. Um, threaded throughout. So I really wanted to just make it accessible so that yes. you know, everything I talk about and the programs that I do, people could just get the book and access that way too. Yeah, great. Um, but it actually led me last year to going to visit Sammy's mum. Oh, did it? It did, yeah. And that was profound, actually. Um, and I said what to her, that I, yeah, I, I, it was so emotional still, but yes. she, um, I said that I felt like on some level, I mean, she never blamed me back then. You know, she was just so compassionate from the start. Yes. It was incredible. Yes. But she just, I said, I felt almost like on some level, I was waiting for her permission for me to be happy. Yes. She got upset and said, I've only ever wanted you to be happy. It was, yeah, it was almost lovely. like the missing piece for me. Yeah, um, what an incredible woman and family, the whole yeah. family. Yeah. Um, I, I dread to think what it would have been like if they'd have been different. But, yes. you know, they were. And I had her blessing for the book and all of that. Good, so. good, good. Um, yeah. And so it's been quite a journey. Oh, my God. Hasn't it just. And I would say to you, what an incredible woman. <laughs> Uh, and an incredible story and now what next for you so so the book the second edition is coming and then I'm developing a program great 
that people can work through an online program. Lovely. If I can help support in any way, of course, I would love to. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm working a lot with organisations, helping them to build cultures where everyone thrives. So, right. you know, mental health awareness, um, first aid from mental health, managing conversations around mental health. You know, I, I um, like to work with young people as well, I think, you know, to give a message of hope. Yes. Um, to share my story. So and that, is that your main aim, Liz, do you think, to share hope and that, you know, we can all overcome our tragedies and turn them into triumphs or you know surviving or barely surviving sometimes we're kind of suffering aren't we at the beginning of our trauma journey we are you know to turn it into being able to thrive is is really important definitely and that's my TED talk uh was called mental health awakening suffering is surmountable because you know for a long time uh there was no hope for me and when that when there's no hope it's hopeless what's yeah. the point you know yeah. you're stuck yeah with all the things that I learned uh gave me hope you know realizing I had choice actually getting a spiritual sort of connection and meaning in my life be- believing there's a bigger purpose to things you know all of these things have helped me all of the alternative ways that I've looked at healing as well as the traditional and the and the medical yes uh you know all of it I think so I, I look at things very holistically and you know it is a journey that, that I beat myself up for so long on a lot of these courses thinking that I'd failed because I'd done the course and I wasn't healed yes you know so like, another yeah, way yeah. like there's something wrong with you yes Actually, when you've got trauma it's a completely different ball game you know you need trauma specific help you need a guide to help you through you're stuck in it especially yes. with PTSD you're literally frozen yes so all of those other things help to build my resilience and build my capacity um but they didn't help me to really resolve the trauma that I needed really specific professional trauma help yep I agree with you and I hear you and I'm excited <laughs> that you're launching your own thing next year and I really hope that whoever listened today got what I got out of your talk and your story. It's incredibly moving. I don't think I've cried on a podcast yet. This is the first. Um, But actually so beautiful to hear how you turned it round and yeah, and how you continue to do that and help other people. So thank you for that, Liz. And thank you for your time today. And yeah, I'm excited what you bring into the world next year too. Thank you so much, Lou, and much love to everyone who's listening. And remember, there is always hope. There is always hope. Yeah, thank you. And um, to get hold of you, your website is www.liscashin. So it's Liz with an S, liscashin.com. Okay. And then there's only one Liz Cashin, because it's an unusual there name. Is, yes, there is only one Liz Cashin, definitely. <laughs> then I, I'm a great, because on any social media, you will find me, yes. uh, which, is, which is the great news. All right. Thank <laughs> you so much. Take care. Thanks, Lou. And you. All right. Lots of love. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it helped you in some way. And I really hope to see you back here soon. If you have anything to share on today's experience or podcast, please nip over to the YouTube channel or the Facebook group Trauma Thrivers and let us know there.